morning, everyone. The first reading is Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Heather and Margaret. I just want to reiterate it is such a a joy to actually finally be joining you officially and actually standing in the pulpit today. Second week, about to sit under the word. uh, And I actually chose this this passage, Ephesians, because I think it encapsulates what we stand for at St. Pete's. I think it is grounded in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, his saving work, and how that transforms our lives together. And so just before we get into it, why don't we pray? Father, you are a good God. You are a God who gives us mercies each and every day. And as we sit under your word, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears that are willing to hear, that you would soften our hearts and you would transform us by your spirit. Lord, may we be more Christ-like and grow into the fullness that is your head, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Well, most of us would have been to a concert. And, you know, maybe it's Coldplay, U2, Queen, The Beatles. Concerts are such a counter-cultural experience. You know, the big ones, you've got 50, 100,000 people all just coming together. But there's always this point where the lights are out and the stadium is filled with that sway in the darkness of just phones over the top. Everyone's gripped in this melody, focused on this band, of this one band singing the, the lead song. But then the singer pulls away. The band cuts. But there's this roar of the stadium continuing to sing that song. People who usually have nothing to do with each other, have nothing else in common, they come together, they're united around one purpose for that brief moment. We don't see that very often, do we? It's a glorious, glorious thing, but it's unusual. But that beautiful image of people gathered, singing and surrounded by one purpose, that's exactly what we are called to. One day, that is going to be us standing around, focused on singing to the Lamb. And yet, in these times, sometimes it can be pretty hard to see that being a reality. And so that's where Paul is turning in our passage today. But before we get to where we are here in chapter 4, it's good to know where we've been. And so basically, as many of you will know, Ephesians is broken up into two halves. In the first three halves, Paul gives us this marvellous sweep of what God has done, his saving purposes, so that we could all have life. You know, from us being chosen before the foundation of this world to all things being united under our Lord and our Saviour. Paul gives the sense and the wonder of it in chapter 3, verses 10, where he says that through the church, the wisdom of God would be known that the universe would look on and see how great our God is. So that first three chapters outline our identity in Jesus and what God's plan is. And now we get to chapter 4. And the second half, 4 to 6, is all about how to live according to that. Our purpose as God's people is to glorify Him. And how do we do that? Well, as we step through it today, we learn three things. The first thing we learn is that we're called to live in unity. The second thing we learn is that we are called to serve in diversity. And the reason we do that is so that we would be growing in maturity. And so the first thing we learn is unity. Look with me in verses 1 to 6. We are called to live in loving unity. Paul says in verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is that calling? It's not your profession. It's not your job. It's not your career. We are called to be gathered. To be gathered in Jesus, to be a Christian. The language in the Bible of calling is always to be invited to Jesus, to be called to be a Christian. And so Paul is saying here, learn to be what you are and live a life worthy of that. You've been called to Christ. You have been called to one another. But how do you do that? That's what he says in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And why? 
How can we do that? Because of verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all and in all. Those are daunting verses to me, really, because it doesn't come easily. I mean, you don't know us very well, but you can ask Talia. It does not come very easily to me at all. But Paul doesn't say that either. He says, make every effort. And just before, he says, bearing with one another in love. It's not like when you become a Christian, suddenly you're running around with flower crowns in a magical land of unicorns and tiptoeing through the tulips, loving everything, and life's a dream. It doesn't just happen. We have to make every effort. Because although all of us are redeemed and rescued, we still live in a fallen world. And we, each of us, we battle with our sin daily. But what's Paul reminding us? He's reminding us that unity doesn't actually come from our effort. It's actually already achieved. We are united in the spirit. Verse 4, it's pretty obvious what the key word is. There's one body, one spirit. One, 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 one. Unity is already achieved. Our call is to make every effort to maintain it in our church life. And how do we do that? We do that through being humble and gentle and forbearing. Practice these things. That is what a picture of our life in Christ looks like. That is what a picture of Christian unity looks like. That's what a picture of Christian maturity looks like. But to be humble then, you know, that was detested in the Roman world. It was a sign of weakness. But for us, it's to realize that nothing we could ever do could save us from our sins. Everything had to be handed to us. C.S. Lewis says it really well where he says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. To be gentle as well doesn't mean weakness. Actually, Jesus is described as gentle. It means power restrained. It means strength that's held in check by tenderness and care and love. That's why we have this image of the gentle giant. Some huge monstrosity of a person, but they are gentle with their strength and size so they don't hurt anyone. We have patience. And this is something I really struggle with. Everything in our society is so quick. Everything's at the click of a button. Everything comes to us when and how and when we want it. How many of us get annoyed even when the internet slows down just a little bit? Could you go back to dial-up? What do, what do we do when the internet actually goes down? I don't, I don't have much to do when the internet goes down. I have to read. Being patient is being mature as a Christian. Being patient in your circumstances, patient in sufferings. It's being patient with each other, with all our annoying quirks, with all our rough edges, with all of our lack of maturity. Our impatience leads to frustration breaking out and hurting one another. Friends, patience maintains the unity with each other and is a mark of maturity. And as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking, yeah, church relationships are a bit like traveling with your friends. You you come in, it's all great to start with, you think it's going to be great, but I've had my fair share of interesting holiday chats 
It's not always the easiest. There's always this tension and friction that creeps in and builds up. You know, I want to sleep. Well, I want to wake up early and go to the beach. I want to stay up late and watch horror movies. I want to play Xbox. I want to go with the kids. That's just the nature of what happens when groups gather. That's what happens when we're gathered together in church, gathered in Bible studies. Inevitably, we're going to rub some people up the wrong way. They are going to see the sin in you, and you are going to see the sin in them. But we learn to bear. We bear with in love. We learn maturity to keep perspective, not to overreact. We live in a loving understanding, being humble and gentle and bearing with one another as we walk together. Friends, the magic of it all is that a healthy church is not a group of people that you would ordinarily choose to spend your time with. A healthy church is one filled with people from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, styles, baggage, personality. We are gathered together because we love Jesus. And it is work. Make every effort. But in the midst of that, we look past that superficiality. We look past that and we're drawn to each other as we see the Christ, the heart of Christ in each other. And draws us into a friendship that is deep and profound as we come together unified to glorify our God and his purpose that people would see that unity. Those are his people. A mature Christian life, a mature church is one of humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance in love. But that unity doesn't mean that we're all a carbon copy of each other. That's not what it's saying. We aren't a collection of identical twins. Unity does not mean uniformity. It's unity even amongst great diversity. And that's why Paul says what he says next. And so the second thing we learn is diversity in verses 7 to 11. We are called to use our diversity. We're called to serve in diversity. Look with me at uh, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Well, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Well, these are pretty straightforward. We probably don't need to even go over these verses. Um, Maybe not. Paul is quoting from Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is a victory psalm and it records this mighty win that God has had over his people's enemies. It's allowed them to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. The bit quoted here pictures God having won this battle and ascending victorious to his chosen position on Mount Zion. And as he is ascending, he is giving gifts to his people. We all know this is what happened in the ancient world. You see it in movies on Netflix enough if you haven't. Vikings, kings, winning wars, pillaging villages, walking through the streets, soaking up the spoils. They take what is valuable for their own and captives trail as they walk through and the victor distributes gifts to his people. 
See, Paul uses this imagery of the Psalms to say that this is actually fulfilled in Jesus, the greatest victory of God. On the cross, Jesus won victory over sin. And as he rose again, he won victory over death. In verse 9, when it says that he descended to the earth, he descended to the lower regions, that is God coming down as Jesus. But now he has achieved that victory and he has ascended. He has ascended, exalted over the whole universe. He has brought all things under him. And because he is that victorious king, he is the king that gives gifts to his people. But why? Why is he giving these gifts to his people? He pours out gifts to his people so that they may build up his body. They may build up the church. And verse 7, there's another key thing. It says, to each of his people, grace has been apportioned. Now, when he talks about grace here, he isn't talking about saving grace. Actually, what he's talking about is grace and the abilities for the building of the church. You see, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, then you have God at work in you to give you the gift of the Spirit. That is the expression of God's grace. And those gifts are given for the common good. To live in a a way worthy that we've been called, to live a life worthy of that calling, is to live in service, using our gifts. And all that we are to build the church. It's exactly what we see later down in verse 16. Every part of the body has its function. The eye isn't made for hearing. The ear isn't made for walking. You don't want a prop hanging out on the wing. We are a body, we are a team, and we each have our own function. Whether that's welcoming, setting up chairs, whether it's singing, we all have gifts that we serve our body with. But what's interesting here is that whilst everyone has a spiritual gift from God for the church, Paul here highlights the foundational gifts. They're all word gifts. It's the word of God that fuels all of our ministries. The word ministers are given to pour out this word to the church so that each of us would speak truth to one another and be equipped for that service. The fuel is what's going to get us from A to B. And if it's not the right fuel, we aren't going to go anywhere. My dad was one of the unfortunate fellows to realise this. He swapped cars with my mum for a day, swapped from his Land Cruiser to a uh, nice little zippy car. Naturally, it's a smaller car, so he's filling up. It's not going to need diesel. Surely not. Well, lo and behold, my mum's little car's a beast. And even though it is little and zippy, it needed diesel. It was different but it needed the same fuel. And the result of using the uh, wrong fuel that day for my father was a day at the car doctor and a complete tank replacement, uh, a lot of cups of tea and uh, apologies. But it wasn't getting anyone anywhere. Without an understanding of God's purposes in the world, with who we are in Christ... We're never going to be motivated and equipped to serve in the way we should. Our fuel is the word. We need the word of God to be opening our eyes and together fueling us for the service of God in this church. Fueling us in our respective ministries. Why do we do this? We do this for each other. We do this for God. Our ministry here at St. Pete's is a word-fueled ministry. But why is that so important? And that's what he says in verse 12. 
to equip his people for for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And in 15, speaking the truth in love that we would mature. To live a life worthy of our calling, we need to live in unity. We need to serve in diversity. And why? So that we would grow in maturity. And so the last thing we learn from this short passage from Paul is that we need to grow in maturity, verses 12 to 16. We are called to utilize our gifts fueled by the word so that the body is built up. Notice in the English translation, when the word up is put next to built, that's actually not there in the original. And I think it's, it's helpful to leave it out because what can happen when we think of building up is restricting us to thinking just Christians built up. I think it can restrict us. And whilst it does mean that, it does mean us growing up, I think it also includes people being built in. See, the goal of God is that the church would be a lens of, to his glory, of his wisdom. The goal is that the church would be built in as people come to faith and then built up as we serve each other and glorify him. So what is maturity? It's actually living in unity. It's, but it's unity in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus in verse 13 and speaking the truth in verse 15. Maturity isn't just getting older. Maturity is growing in a knowledge and an understanding of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's us becoming Christ-like. He is the mature head of our body. We are seeking to grow into the fullness of our head. If we cling to that truth, if we cling to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be tossed to and fro like infants. Loving unity and word-fueled ministry is how we become mature. But it's also what maturity looks like. It's actually the means and the end. And as we sit under the word each week, we are stirred to use our gift to serve each other. And so we grow in maturity together. In sport, it's not like training and game day. During the week, you do your skills and your fitness, and then on Saturday, it's the real deal. No, no, they are one. They are what maturity looks like. You play how you train, and you train how you play. Doing both is how you develop and how you grow. But, friends, we can only do this together. Verse 16 reminds us the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I was thinking about this, and um, at the new house, we really graciously got gifted a new washing machine. And I feel like the function of this washing machine is a bit like our church life. And what's talking about here. You see, in a washing machine, there's this fill cycle. There's fill and it's, the water's in and it's in and it's filling, it's filling, it's filling, it's filling. The soap is coming in, the soap is coming in. And there's the clean cycle. And the clean cycle and it spins. Top. Bottom. It sloshes over and over. And it mixes and the clothes are in there. And the clothes are mixing against each other. There's friction between them. It's all this process that's cleaning. As we gather together... Those foundational word gifts, the word of God fills us up. 
We come together as our gifts and we slosh it. We slosh the word over and over and back and forth. We clean each other. We remind each other. We speak the truth in love. We encourage one another. We challenge one another. We remind one another. We share things that we're learning in growth group in our quiet times. That is how we grow together in God's church. His word brought into our body, sloshed around, dwelling on the foundation of the truth. As we think about who we are as God's people, who we are as the people of St. Pete's, we need to be reminded that in this world that seems to have lost all sense of direction, in a world that the society is just an absolute mess, God is waiting every single gathering for you to come and be part of this thing that he is building by the blood of his son. We live in unity. We serve in diversity. And we grow up in maturity. How good would it be if the world could see the glory of God here through St. Pete's? Let's pray. Father, in your wisdom, you revealed that you were going to use your church to manifest your glory in this world. Father, as we think about our church life, I pray that you would discipline our hearts, that we would practice humility, patience, love and forbearing with one another. And Lord, that we'd be clothed with the gentleness as we serve alongside each other to glorify your name. Lord, as we think about your purposes, I pray that East Linfield, Sydney, Australia and the world would see your church, see a gathering of people, a gathering of broken people who are given life and know that something is different, that there must be more and see the glory of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.